Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 192nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. We are creeping up on the 200th episode of Real Hawk Talk. It will come sooner than anyone uh, would imagine, but it's it's uh, right, right around the corner. And tonight we're gonna have a two man show, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, you know, I love I love our core four. Uh, when it's Dana, when it's Jeff, when it's Evan, when it's uh, Nathan, you know, whatever the configuration is, always great. But it is a little hard to have an in-depth conversation with four people, right? We have to kind of figure out how to give each other enough space to do that. So we're going to go pretty deep tonight. Um, it's going to be myself and Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Truly the OG crew of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, good to see you, dude. You too. It's been, it's been a while since it's been just us two. I think it's been months it has. It has. It's been it's been a long time. And uh, there's a fair amount to talk about. And usually this, the, the rhythm of this show is we go in and we talk about last week. And I think we should talk about that a little bit. Um, and then we talk about the game ahead. And I think that given the state of things with the Seahawks, what we're going to talk about tonight, we'll talk a little bit about the, the game last week. But I think the topic on everybody's mind is still 
what does all this mean? What are we looking at? What do we want to see happen next? What do we expect to happen next? Um, and so I think we'll probably talk about that more than we'll talk about the Cardinals matchup. So if folks are looking for that preview, um, you know, let us know in the chat and we'll, we'll probably try to work that in, but I don't think that's going to be a huge topic tonight. So Jeff, anytime you score 50 plus points in a game and go up 38, seven to start, and have your running back go for 170 yards and be named, you know, offensive player of the week and have your quarterback throw for four touchdowns and your young receiver catch three of those touchdowns. Things feel a little better. And I'm curious for you, like what, what have you observed both in yourself and kind of at the Seahawks fan base abroad uh, after this last week's victory? Yeah, it was a really interesting game in a number of ways because I think everything you want to see out of the Seahawks offense all year really came true. I think you saw the vision of the team. You saw that they want to be a balanced offense where they can run the ball anytime they want. And that opened up the passing game and that allowed them to score like they haven't scored since 2012, really, in a game. But really, my thought coming out of that game, and I put it on Twitter, I put it in our chat, it's just, I wondered what Jody Allen was thinking watching that. I know we all have takes on what we think should happen. I know we've covered that so many times on this show. We all know what, for example, Evan wants to happen. But my thought just watching that game, and I, I'm still a little uncomfortable with it. Like, what was Jody thinking? Was she thinking, okay, this is the team we were supposed to be if everyone's healthy? Or is she thinking they're playing the last place Lions with a backup quarterback? But to me, like, that game could really either change her thinking it could not alter at all. So to me, that was really interesting because you really saw the Seahawks hit on all cylinders. Like, yeah, people say they gave up a lot of points, but it was 38 to seven. Like a lot of those points were garbage time, second half, not really. And they're playing with like sixth and seventh string defensive backs. So like the, the offense jumped out to me, just how good, like the season's been terrible for a number of reasons, but I'm not going to lie. I've really enjoyed watching Rashad Penny run the mm -hmm. last month. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's fun. I'm not saying I want them to sign them, whatever, but like, I'm just so curious because you saw the game, they put up 50 points. They looked dominant. Russell looked, that was his best game of the year, in my opinion. So I'm just so curious if like the running back thing happens now, does, does this game matter? Because we're, we're just a week removed from losing in the fourth quarter to Nick Foles. So it's just like, it feels like that game just totally changed the conversation, totally changed the vibes. I don't know if the team is overreacting, but I think this Sunday will be really interesting because that's the day before that Black Monday and you'll get all those NFL insider reports. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out this week because it just feels like the, the vibes, the conversation has totally changed. And I don't know if that's warranted given they play the last place team in the league. Well, yeah, that's what a lot of folks are saying. And um <sighs> I guess it, that, 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 so I'm torn on this one, Jeff. I, mm, it always bugs me when the fans, whenever a team plays really well against a bad team, they dismiss it as, well, that's the worst team in the league. Well, the Lions haven't been the worst team in the league the last month. They beat the Cardinals butts on their home field. Granted, it was with their starting quarterback, but the defense is what gave up 51 points, not, yeah. you know, Boyle. So, I think that has something to say. Seahawks pounded the Texans, 
uh, who I think was actually been the worst team in the NFL, Texans turned around and stomped the Chargers. So, you know, and then we lost to the Bears. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's really foolhardy to throw away great football, no matter who it comes against. I think that that's, I don't think you say, okay, we scored 51. Now we're ready to win the Super Bowl. I think that's silly, but they played exceptionally well, no matter who the opponent was. You, you, you score like a 28 to 14 victory over the Lions, sure. Mm-hmm. Going up 38 to seven, being on track for over 600 yards at halftime, you know, running for 265 yards, scoring over 50 points, which has only happened like six times in the whole franchise history. It matters. Like it just flat matters. And I think dismissing it out of hand, I think is, is just like a, it's a defense mechanism, if anything. So like, I don't want to, I don't give the team too much credit. I'm pissed off at them. So I don't feel that way. I feel like that offense uh, deserves a ton of credit. Um, I don't feel like they have to prove it again this week against the Cardinals. I would love to see it. What they did was great. The same way that it was great last week, they did that to the Lions but it didn't erase all the shit that they've done the rest of the year. Like, you know, that's, it's, that's the tricky thing. They, they whooped the three teams they whooped this year were the Jaguars, Lions, and the, te- the Texans. But yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and they beat the 49ers twice. They did. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That's um, funny. Yeah. yeah. I got a buddy who's a 49ers fan. They, they got to win. They got to beat the Rams to make the playoffs potentially this week. And, he was just bemoaning. He's like, I can't believe our season probably comes down to going 0-2 against the Seahawks. It's an amazing thing that they're if they lose this week and the Saints win, them losing those two games cost them a playoff spot. So that's That'd be pretty so amazing. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that actually. I you know, I think yeah. I mean, I, the real reality is that they have owned Sean McVay and the Rams. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Trey Lance fall on his face, but we will not talk about the 49ers too much more. No. So uh, last kind of bit on that game last week, at least to start with, is did your opinion change about anybody on the Seahawks as a result of that game? And I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be a huge change. I'll give you an example and I'll even go first, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you know, Rashad Penny's stock continues to rise. You know, he still looked like a difference making back a big playback that the Seahawks haven't had that isn't common in the league. Uh, he looked great. He looked fantastic. Phil Haynes, you know, I thought played a really good game. And uh, his stock for me, can't say it really rose that much for me because I've been <laughs> high on him, but I, I thought it was a, a game that mattered for him. I can't say it. it changed a lot of my opinion about Russ or Pete or things of that nature but you know I'm curious for you and anyone who's anyone that that your opinion changed uh, about um, as a result of how that game went not really it's more a lot of the things we've thought I think just were justified in our mind like you've been really high on Phil Haynes I'll give you credit and I thought pro football focus was way off on his grade I thought he should have been really high he opened up two touchdowns. I don't know how they like, great offensive line, but he looked like a quality starter. And 
they haven't had that in the left guard position really since Steve Hutchinson. And I'm not saying he's like a stud, but you saw what a good guard can do. And really the offensive line as a whole, it's been really a lot better on, on the ground. They've been better at pass pro, but like Jake Curhan, a right guard has been, a right tackle has been functional. He looks like a potential player, but we don't know. I'm not saying he's like a, a plus starter, but he looks like a guy. You're going to have depth on your line there. On defense, it's more or less the same guys I've liked all year. Uh, I, I, Daryl Taylor is becoming a lot of fun. Like he makes one splash play. Like that hit out the goal line was freaking awesome. It was. He's been great. Um, Jordan Brooks is getting better, which is good to see. I know there was some debate about how you graded him, but I, I really like what he's doing. And DJ Reed to me looked great. Like that was one of the best games he's played. Maybe it's him. Like I think that he's a guy that you really, you guys were talking about Sunday in the post game show. But it's funny, I took a lot of shit in our chat when I said, like, week two or three, the, the team would be fine in a corner if they cut Trey Flowers. And w- Will and Evan just dunked on me. <laughs> like, they were like, are you, they thought I was out of my mind. But I thought if Reed went to the other, whatever, they've had, like, it's pretty amazing that they've turned their cornerback room into, like, they've had four or five guys play, and they've all pretty much been fine. So I'm I taking the like dog. six or seven. Yeah, I'm like, I was Mr. Anti-Trade Flowers, so I've been pretty happy about that. But, yeah, I was more DJ Reed, Brooks, Taylor, the guys we wanted to emerge all year. And offensively, it was more about, like, the sum of the parts. They looked – we saw the offense from week one that we've been wondering where it was all year. Shane Waldron looked like a competent offensive coordinator where guys were moving around, the run, the pass, worked together. You saw what happens when Russell converts third downs. But – Again, so much of this team's future is Russ and Pete and John. So from that standpoint, no, nothing changed. Just we're starting to see some young guys emerge, which is nice because really that's been our issue with the team, just the personnel, where the blue chip players. But it was just fun to watch Rashad Penny just dominate again. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guess one of the things that that is interesting and in, in listening to you talk about it is uh, by the way, I agree with you about the Phil Haynes piece, not just because I've been hyping him up, but I just thought his blocks were so clean and both yeah. pass pro and run blocking. He just, it feels like a lot of times we see players kind of struggle to get the edge or to, to get in position. And he just seems fluid and strong. And I saw guys trying to bull rush him and he just didn't move. So I really liked what I saw there. I, I like to me, I liked what I saw from him to be totally honest, more than what I've seen from Damian Lewis this year. That was going to be my next point. Like Damian Lewis got activated from the COVID list and we've seen some guys, how they've come off this year. And they, they're, they're just, we saw what Tyler Lockett said. So I would play Haynes over Lewis this week. I would too. I don't know if the Seahawks will, but uh, I think at the very least, I'd want to learn more about Haynes. And I think, you know, a little bit more about what you have in Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, one guy that I think a lot of fans' opinion of um, has started to shift, or at least has been talked about this week, is Ethan Posick, who's had two good games against the Bears and against the Lions these last few weeks. And he did; he had some great run blocks, uh, was decent in pass blocking. Your opinion change about Ethan Posick at all as a result? No, not really. I think he is playing better. I will acknowledge that. But I think with him, it's just we sort of know what his ceiling is. And we know the Seahawks have undervalued the center position pretty much throughout John Schneider's tenure. And they just wanted average play, it seems like, based on how they've done this position. 
And again, I think Posick is fine. But the thing is, and I, I know you saw this on Twitter, this is my opinion. When you watch him play against the plus defensive tackles, he just can't hold up. And to me, you've just seen so many good quarterbacks with centers and that kind of relationship. And again, Posick is fine. He's sort of, we've seen guys like him in other positions where they're fine. They're not going to crush you. But again, I would, I have not changed my opinion. It's good. He's playing better, but I think he's at best an average center at best. I think he's more below average to be honest. And I want to see a plus player at the position. Yeah. I was just fascinated by the fact that there was this swell of support for Ethan Posick. I'm like, Ethan Posick, this is the same fan base that's been complaining about the offensive line and the Seahawks approach to the offensive line for years, rightfully, like justifiably. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I think there was a few articles that came out, people putting some film out, talking about some of the grades he got from PFF and are like, yeah, he's all right. Uh I one I don't want the Seahawks offensive line to be fine I don't want it to be all right I want it to be a strength of the team and I want it to be one of the best in the NFL like I want like even if you're going to have a franchise quarterback making 35 45 50 million whatever it's going to be and you can only choose a few other places to invest heavily one of them for me would be offensive line like it doesn't have to be all the offensive line, but I want a, at least a couple of pro bowl level players on that team. It doesn't have to be all pros. It would be great. If they were, it doesn't have to be hall of famers. It'd be great if they were, but Ethan Posick will never ever make the pro bowl. Like that's not his ceiling. No. Not only that, but like, I think there's a minimum of four games a year you have a really tough chance to win, even if other things on your team are good, just because of him in the middle against quality defensive tackles. Yeah. And there's mean, a lot in this division. There's a lot. And, and I think that's a minimum. So like you're talking about like almost a quarter of your schedule or, or whatever. I, I just aim higher. Like let's not settle for Ethan Posick at center and certainly not for Kyle Fuller and, I won't go through all the stats I put on Twitter, but I mean, these guys in situations, I'll I'll go over one, which was PFF has something where they call true pass sets. I think you saw this, which it's smart. It screens out like no pun intended. It takes out um, play action passes. It takes out plays where there's only three pass rushers. It takes out plays where it's a screen play or something else where, you know, a short pass under two seconds to throw where the offensive line isn't really having to pass block in the normal way. And in just the true pass sets where you screen all those things out, Ethan Posick is second worst in the NFL among centers in pass blocking and Kyle Fuller is worst. So that's what I'm talking about. Like he can be good run blocking. That's fine. But if you're going to be that much of a liability in, in pass protection, I just don't want you on. I don't want you starting for sure, um, on the team. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to improve this line, Jeff, Gabe Jackson's already signed, right? He's here next year. You can cut him or bench him or whatever, but he's part of your team. Damian Lewis is part of your team. Doesn't mean he has to start, but he's been a two-year starter, so it seems like unlikely they're just going to bench him all of a sudden. And then you've got 
Dwayne Brown, Ethan Posick, and Brandon Shell, who are free agents. Those are your chances to improve the line. Yeah. Like, I want all three of those. Like, I like Jake Curran, but I wouldn't mind if they find a stud right tackle that, that is a sure bet. Great. If there was a, like a Mitchell Schwartz back in the day available, I would be like, go sign that guy, right? Like we were back then. You know, it's like deja vu. I think you and I probably had this conversation back then. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, we were going through the free agent list a bit and Ryan Jensen from the Bucks is free agent. He would be a really good pickup for this team. Yeah. He, he's a really like physical and kind of nasty player. He's been a top center since he's gone to Tampa Bay from Baltimore. So if you look at the best lines around the league, and this is sort of what you were alluding to the other day, they're not full of guys who are average. They're not full of like what we're getting from Gabe Jackson or what you're getting from Lewis. They're full of like Tampa's line has Tristan Wirfs. They have Ali Marpet and they got Jensen. Green Bay's line when they were great last year, David Bakhtiari and Elkin Jenkins and Corey Lindsley. We alluded to them probably trying to sign Joe Thune or Corey Lindsley and they didn't, they didn't draft Creed Humphrey. And this is why the line full of underwhelming players has been an underwhelming line. It's not like some of the lines back in the day where Alex Gibbs or Tom Cable can coach up, sorry, Tom Cable, like that system where you can just put okay guys And this, this year of football at Dallas had Tyron Smith and Zach Martin. You need studs in that position. And like you say, they're sustainable. So yeah, the, the fact that they have it, I, I have a lot of bones with Russell in a lot of areas. But if there's one I agree with them, it's definitely the offensive line. I think they they really need – I don't know who's the GM's going to be next year. I think regardless, I think this is one of the biggest mistakes of this whole regime because it was weird because Pete wasn't like this in college. They had top Ty, – Tyron Smith and Winston Justice and all these – Ryan Khalil. Like, they were getting top-end offensive linemen every year. So, I don't know if it's a salary cap thing, but they need to change their thinking on this. Uh, yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion this is a John thing. Um, and it might also be an offensive line coach thing. We just there was a lot of criticism, Mike's uh, of Tom Cable. Mike Solari's gotten similar, better, definitely better results. But I don't hear any fans complaining about Mike Solari or calling for calling him to the carpet. So, uh, I think the team has done better at selecting offensive linemen in the draft for sure since Solari's been around. But free agency wise, I mean, Brandon Shell was a good value pickup. But to me, that feels like a philosophical approach to meeting that need more than it's like they don't know what a good offensive lineman is. They just don't want to pay top dollar for an offensive lineman. And I, I just, I think, I don't think you can do that. I, I, don't, no. think, I don't think either of us I, think. I think they've screwed up both offensive and defensive line with the same philosophy. Well, and I think you and I talked about this before as well, but I thought they were very astute. This was back in the Tom Cable days. Pete, Tom, they'd talk about, you know what? College linemen are not being taught fundamentals the same way anymore. There's a lot of, you know, new age offense that does not have offensive linemen and real pass sets or, you know, doing any real run blocking. And so we're having to teach them up and it's harder to find them and it's harder to coach them and so forth. That was a really astute, smart observation that if if you follow that through, what does that do? It increases the value of proven veteran, experienced NFL offensive linemen who are free agents. But they didn't go out and sign 
who was the guy from uh, Baltimore that I love that went to the Raiders, the guard? Oh, um, I know. Assembly. Yeah, yeah. Kalecha Assembly. They didn't go after Mitchell Schwartz. They didn't go. Like, there was there were a number of marquee, you know, pro bowl, all pro potential starting level linemen. And they went after bargain basement. They did it time and time again. And um, uh, if there's as much as anything, that's been a major part of why the Seahawks haven't been able to, to rebound um, on a team that's really been focused on offense, you know? Yeah. Um, and we talk, we argue all this time about passing and running and you've seen the last couple of weeks, what a good offensive line does for the complexity of the, I mean, to just round out the offense and, you can argue about whether you should run or pass more and what's more efficient, but I think Nathan put up some stats and the Seahawks are like running at a level that compares to Green Bay's passing offense per EPA. And Nathan was on again to explain what that actually means, but to me, that's pretty mind-blowing. So you, you see what a good offensive line can do. I know they've played inferior competition lately, but like it's just so infuriating that I think like what you said, it, it's not as much identifying as more of a philosophical thing. And I think no matter how they go, who's running this team, it has to change. Or it's hard to see them progressing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, like there's just so much that I find, you know, super fascinating about the Seahawks in general. But, like, there's all these narratives that have just taken total hold of things. And – one of them has been, you know, the Seahawks just, they need to emphasize the pass more. They need to optimize Russ more. And I, I think if you look at it, they've actually just become a really shitty run team. Like it doesn't that, get discussed enough. It doesn't like that. Like no. whether or not you believe running should be the central part of your offense, being good at running is being better is better than being bad at running. Nobody would argue that. And the Seahawks just haven't been that great at a running team. No. And, and I think now, as you were just talking about, we're seeing not like, okay, running, we're seeing some dominant, I mean, Penny's had over 130 yards rushing in three of the last four games. Like there are not many seasons the Seahawks have that any, I think there's only two other players who have had three 130 plus yard rushing games in the whole season, in the whole franchise history. Exactly. So, like, that's, I mean, even Marshawn, like, all these guys, like, he never did it. Um, if I'm remembering right, I did a lot of different stats, so I might be misremembering, but uh, that's pretty rare. So, I don't know. Like, can I give you, can I, can I switch subjects, but connect it a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So, what is the number one argument for changing coach? Like, what is the number one example given for how changing a coach can help a quarterback improve? Which a more modern philosophy? Like, which in the NFL, who is the head coach and quarterback used? Which team is used as well, an example to LaFleur prove? LaFleur and LaFleur and Rogers. LaFleur and Rogers, right? So, what would you think? Just without looking at all the numbers, what would you think LaFleur did 
to the Packers that like the narrative, first of all, would you agree that the way, the way it's told on Twitter with fans everywhere else is Lafleur came in, Rogers rediscovered his mojo, became a great passer again. And then the Packers started to become an NFC championship level team. Is that, is that your that, understanding? That's more or less what's out there. I, I know where you're going with this. And I, I actually heard Jake keep talking about this today. So I think you're right on the money because that's, that's not necessarily what happened. Everyone sees that Patrick Mahomes offense. And I know Russ wants to be MVP, but I think the offense we saw on Sunday, I think there's a pretty good case. That's the best way to maximize Russell. I think, I think that's true. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. I went back and I did some rudimentary numbers just looking back and I used EPA just to make everybody happy. Um, and I also did some other geeky stuff, right? So, First off, this is not super geeky, but the Packers ran the ball like 333 times in 2018, which was Mike McCarthy's last year. They have run the ball over 470 times this year. They've run the ball in every year since LaFour has been there a significant amount more. Now, what's the first thing people are going to say analytics guys, when you say that they're like, well, they're winning more. So they're probably running more in, in non-neutral uh, situations when they're ahead. So I went back and looked at that. And the way you check that is neutral pass frequency. Everyone remembers this, right? Early down first, second down, how, how often are you passing? Well, Jeff, the Packers were number one in the NFL from 2016 to 2018. Those are the last three years of Mike McCarthy's time with, with green Bay mm -hmm. number one in the league in neutral down, like early neutral situation, early down passing, which is with 66% of the time they were passing. So number one in the NFL, no one was doing it more often than they were with McCarthy in the years, three years since the floor has been there, they've dropped to seventh it's not like they're not doing it a lot but they do it a lot less their actual like their average right now i think is around 56 percent, 55 percent. so like it's dropped a decent chunk mm -hmm. so they're they're running more often on early downs by a significant chunk than they were with mccarthy mm -hmm. the other thing that changed with lafleur is the packers defense was like the 30th in the nfl dvoa or by EP. It was awful. Awful, awful. Now they're one of the top 10. They've been a top 10 defense for years now. And so just stopping there for a second, like I think that turns the narrative on its head a little bit. Yes, Aaron Rodgers has increased his level of play. By the way, it's not his best that he's ever been. It's not even like return, like his EPA per play in 2011, which is like his MVP, is like one of his best years, maybe his yeah. best year was 0.411, which is off the charts amazing. His EPA this year is 2.60. It's like basically like not half, but it's a significant amount less. It's still great, but it's not anywhere near what he was. So he hasn't become better than he ever was, which is what I think a lot of people I hear from about Russell. It's like, let's get a coach in that's going to make him better than he's ever been. I don't know that there's as many examples of that. And you've got a guy that got hit Aaron Rodgers to play better in part, not totally, but in part by running the ball more often and running really effectively and by building a good defense. 
tell me where that mismatches with Pete Carroll's philosophy, not what his results have been lately, but like, that sounds very familiar to me. That's what makes this whole thing so confounding. And if even if you add to it, LaFleur came from Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. And who's the guy they have in Seattle right now? He's a Sean McVay disciple. So they're essentially trying to run a similar, well, we've been going forward with Shane Waldron all year. And we haven't seen that offense other than week one, week 17. But that's more or less from a philosophical standpoint, why they hired this guy. It was important because Russell wanted him because they want to run that offense, which is not the Andy Reid offense, which is funny because Andy Reid and Mike McCarthy, I think, worked together back in the day in Green Bay. Or, and that's more of that offense that you saw in 2011, where everyone thinks Russell, you put him in that Mahomes offense, you know, throwing the ball around like the first seven games last year. It's, it's funny because Pete's philosophy is like completing the circle and having the defense complimentary football it's like the oldest football conversation but what's made a lot of these coaches so good they've done that in a more modern way with play action and deception but the whole goal of them is the same and i think there's why there's a lot of mutual respect for like a shanahan and carol and mcveigh and carol and i know they've learned from each other the problem and it's why i've been so irritated with pete and john is they haven't built a roster to do that and i think that's the biggest problem and I don't think that's what's talked about enough. I say this all the time. We talk about the modern approach and whether they pass enough and all this stuff. Those are legitimate conversations, probably up until this year. This year, there's been many, many different problems. But you talk about, it. well, what do we want to see? We want to see good defense. You want to see a good offensive line. But I think that's what Green Bay did. They drafted better players on defense. They drafted that guy, Elgin Jenkins, who's been an all-pro guard. And they were able to run the floor scheme, which maximized – then they added A.J. Dillon, and they've really, they're a really complete roster right now. Seattle, like, if, to that, if week 17 is how they want to play, that's great. But why haven't they built the team meant to do that? And you, you mentioned this in some of your rants. Like, at times, their decisions have seemed like they're trying to give Russell what he wants or they're trying to do this, and they're empowering him. But they've lost themselves. And if they built a team that was built to play like that week 17 game, or you can be vertical and horizontal and use Gerald Everett, Eskridge. It's great, but like Pete's philosophy is right. Just why hasn't the roster decisions? I know this is an old conversation. No, this is a conversation. But that's what's so frustrating because I think what he wants to do is totally fair. Like, yeah, he can get a little better at game management, punting, and leading to your quarterback a little bit. But I heard Jay keep saying the same thing to Mike Salt today. He said, Aaron Rodgers. The offense he's running he isn't throwing the ball over the field. They're running the ball at a very high rate. And that maximized him in his later years. And I think Russell would be great in that offense. Because I think that takes advantage of all his skills. I think that takes advantage of sort of his efficiency and doesn't ask him to throw the ball, which showed to be a bit of a limitation for him. Yes. So I think for me, the biggest thing around this team to me isn't the philosophy of the, how they want to run an offense. It's can they use personnel to build a team like that because it's just the roster doesn't match their vision. And that's I, why they look so disjointed. I, I really, yeah, 100% agree. And I think a lot of folks in the chat do as well. Here's why I don't want to quite just jump off of this yet, though. Yeah, because yeah, this has been a narrative. And it's been something where I think people have been shamed and coaches have been shamed for saying, like when Pete says anything, 
about wanting to run the ball more. It is he's outdated. His he's, the games passed him by. Like we hear that all the time. He said very specifically at the end of last season, not just that he wanted to run the ball more, but he wanted to run the ball effectively to be able to get teams out of cover two, which was taking away the deep passes that Ru- and the play action that Russ is so great at. And now, <laughs> what did we hear from DK today? And Brady Henderson had this had the stats. It wasn't just fluff. You wanna you have it in front of you? You want to read it? You want me to read it? Yeah, you read it. So DK Metcalf today said Seahawks are seeing more one high safety looks with the running game getting going. He said Rashad Penny's success is quote, really just puts a lot of stress on the defense to worry about the run in the past. It's basically has opened up a lot more for big pass plays. Hmm. Sounds familiar. The then Brady followed up with actual numbers from True Media Sports, which has said Seattle faced two high safeties on 25% of their snaps versus Houston in week 14, where Penny's surge begin, began, and 38% last week versus Detroit. Those were the second and third lowest rates of facing two high safeties all year. From weeks one to 13 before the Houston game, before the Penny surge. It was 52% of the time the Seahawks were seeing two high safeties. And again, to reiterate, it's not just that two high safeties are some impossible defense to play against, but if you're going to, you can even throw teams out of that, but you've got to hit specific spots. They're seams, they're intermediate. They tend to be shorter throws because you're not able to go deep on two high safeties. Those aren't what Russell excels at. That's going to be my point. Yeah. I think for other quarterbacks, it'd be a little easier to throw out of the mitt. But I think we've seen Russell. His game is just so reliant on that deep pass. And if you look at the, the stretch we're in now, you saw it in Houston. Tyler Lockett had the deep pass then in the first half. DK Metcalf has the touchdown in the Chicago game. Um, down the right sideline last week, we saw bombs that worked. And... I don't think it's correlation where Russell in the Rams game, for example, was awful. They, they ran the ball a little bit in that game, but we've seen how they've worked together. And especially for Russell, who's a very unique player. He's not Drew Brees from the pocket. I don't, he's good passing from the pocket, but he's not carving up the middle of the field. It just isn't his game. And he's gotten better at it in some years and some years he's dealt, but I think Russell's game really needs the deep pass. And He's not great against the two high safeties. I think that was a thing defensive coordinators really adjusted last year. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not fluff. We've seen this now. We've seen a difference. I think Russell needs to be able to throw at the one safety look. And we know how good he is when they go cover zero. Russell might be the best player in cover zero. So seeing all this happen, it's been pretty eye-opening. Yeah. So, yeah, I, again, I, I think that, where that what it all like boils down to for me, Jeff, is this debate about what the Seahawks need to do to get the most out of their offense. It's not settled. Like it'll never be settled. There's always there's multiple ways to have a great offense. I'm sure there's multiple ways to, to optimize what they've got. But I do think that this idea that the Seahawks have to be one of the top three 
early down pass teams and be super pass centric um, to optimize Russ. I think that's an opinion. And I think that that's fine. And it may end up being okay. In some cases, I think we saw that all of last year, which is another myth. People think that the Seahawks stopped being a heavy early down pass team after Russ had those turnover games against the Cardinals and the bills and the Rams. It's not true. They were still one of the top early down pass teams the whole second half of last year. But the defenses were playing two high safeties the second half of last year, and he wasn't able to beat it. So I think that I won't speak for you, but I think we both feel like the point of view of having a strong running game and a strong defense to complement what you have in the quarterback is the formula if you want to be a contending team. Like it's not the only formula, but it is a totally valid formula. And it's being used by a lot of the teams that people are holding up as examples of why isn't Seattle doing this? Yeah. And you look around the league, who are the teams that you think are going to win the Super Bowl this year? Like, it'd be great if Russell was Tom Brady or he was Josh Allen, but he just doesn't play like those guys. And you can see a team like the Rams, how they've gotten more success moving to Sony Michelle in the second half of the year. And you can see teams like Green Bay, how they've been, they're built around the run game, complementing with just the dominant efficiency of their quarterback, probably the most efficient quarterback. You look at like the Colts have been super successful. They're built around a running game. Their quarterback sucks. Um, The Titans, the Titans have a pretty efficient player, but they're not throwing the ball over the field. They're going to be the number one seed in the AFC. And you look at some teams like the Chargers, they throw it around, but they're a high variance team where, there's yep. some weeks they look great and there's some weeks they look awful. Yep. And yep. I, I think there's more than one way. I know, I don't know if this guy listens to our show, but I think Mark Rogers is a huge part of this thing because listen, he represents Russell. He doesn't give a shit about the Seahawks and frankly, he shouldn't. His job is to only prop his client. So for him, he probably feels like they're not maximizing him. And if I was him, I'd probably think the same way, but he has his people in the media. There's Colin Coward. Jason Lackenfora came out with like a six point plan. They're not hitting on anything. Like I saw that a bunch of people in Seattle were laughing at that. I know Mike Salt was, but so when you have that national conversation, bring that up and Pete's almost become a bit like he's almost laughed at. And in some areas he probably should be, but I think so many people are missing what's actually happening on this team. I don't blame them. They're not following this team as close as we do, but like, I don't think there's anything wrong with running a, offense that maximizes your quarterback strength yeah and i don't know and russell talked about how they played a complete game last week and he seemed pretty pumped about it and to me that was why i wonder what the con just going back to my original point like you come out of there and thinking okay like we figured this out we got to run this back sign penny bring everyone back or is it or is russell going to go after the year and just be like okay this isn't working i want out it's to me, it's such an interesting thing now because I don't know if that game changed something in Jody Allen's head, but it easily could have. Yeah, it, it may have. And I think people listening, especially people who have watched for a while, may listen to this and think, like, oh, there goes Brian again defending Pete. I don't think this actually <laughs> has much to do with Pete. I think what this is is saying, hey, the the plan for how to make the Seahawks better has been from a lot of people find a coach that will pass the ball a bunch more yeah 
and, and have better passing and that that's where the team really needs to improve. It can be Pete that's doing that. It could be a brand new coach that's doing that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's the, I personally do not believe this team will be any better if all they do is pass more often or have a better passing offense. I don't, I don't think that that's the path here. I just don't. I think they need someone who is going to have a strong running game to compliment if Russell's the quarterback, assuming he is, and someone that can build a defense that still is bottom of the league in yards, even if they're top 10 in points. Yeah. And I, if you yeah, want I, LaFleur, like that's what he did. He didn't turn Aaron Rodgers into a quarterback he had never been before. And mm-hmm. I think that that's just a huge myth. And I think it's, it's really misleading a lot of people in terms of what the plan should be to get the Seahawks back to being a contending team. Yeah. And again, I know you're probably giving that peak thing a, Listen, I came out and said that if I was advising Jody Allen, I would fire him. And I think it's honestly for the reasons you just said. I think that Pete has the right idea in mind and hasn't been able to execute it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the failure. To me, I don't care who the ne- if the next coach is going to be some passing wizard, but like some of my favorite coaches, John Harbaugh, Mike Frabel, they're not these offensive-minded gurus, but they build a team that's big and strong and tough and they, they go for it on fourth downs and they're competitive. I don't care about the fourth downs as much. To me, that's a very small percentage of the head coach. But to me, they've built a team that's built to win in different ways. And to me, that's the number one criticism. You play towards your players. You build a team. To me, I don't think what we said is a great look for Pete. I think the fact that he has it, it hasn't been able to do it is a bad look, in fact. And I think exactly. That's, I think that's the conversation that never happens. And that's why I would ultimately move on from him because – I don't trust them to do it at this point. So maybe I'm wrong, but I do think it's, I think the conversation needs to change for sure around Russell because I don't don't think there's any evidence that Seattle can be a winning team built that way. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, I will have one question for you there though, Jeff, Mm -hmm. knowing what we just talked about, does that make Dan Quinn a more appealing head coach candidate? Yes. Yes. I am higher on Dan Quinn than others. I know a lot of people will look back at his Atlanta era and was rightfully so. He was not, that was not a great tenure outside of the early years, but well, I think a lot of coaches need to be taken down to learn. Like not every guy is Sean McVay or LaFleur. To me, the head coach is about just building a program. And I, I do like Dan Quinn. I think he, really has come back a different coach. The, the fear for me from Quinn's standpoint was we've seen what happens when he gets really good pass rushers. That's his background. This year he's got Micah Parsons and he shot up his value. But to me, he identified Kyle Shanahan. That was his first hire. And I, I don't think he was paired with a great personnel guy. And I think that hurt Atlanta more than anything. I think their personnel decisions were abysmal in Atlanta. The free agency. So for me, I, I like Dan Quinn. He wouldn't be my first choice by, by a long range. I have a number of guys I would like ahead of him. I really like Doug Peterson, but he, funny enough, Doug Peterson's not a run the football guy. Mm-hmm. So I know guys like Derek would love Doug Peterson because he's passed first all the way. The, the number one knock on him in Philly was he didn't run the ball. So him and Russell would probably match really well, but if we're talking about this balanced, complete offense. Guys, that's not Doug Peterson. So I love a coach like Mike Vrabel. I don't know. 
if those guys are out there, hire great coordinators, kind of build the team. But if we're looking at like a run the ball, balanced offense guy, I'm open to Dan Quinn. I do like him as a candidate. I think he learned a ton from his, from that firing and he's come back and ran completely different schemes and being around that Dallas team. I, I have hated the Cowboys my entire football life. I think they're my favorite NFC team this year. It's mm. weird to say. I love how they play. Yeah. I, Dan Quinn, you know, background as a defensive line coach and, you know, he was the one that moved Red Bryant over to five tech and made something out of nothing. Not that Red Bryant was some crazy great player, but he was a big contributor um, to that team. He helped find like the diamonds in a rough, like Colin Cole and, you know, Kevin Vickerson, you know, in the early days and, and eventually uh, Tony McDaniel and guys that don't get as much pub as the Cliff Averills and the Michael Bennett's, which we, everyone remembers, but you know, um, Chris Clemens, Chris Clemens. I don't know how much he was part of that. Clemens was, you know, nabbed. I think that I give Schneider a lot of credit for that, but in any event, like Dan Quinn was the defensive line guy. Pete Carroll was the, and Gus Bradley were the secondary guys. Them combined is what made such a, a great, you know, uh, brain trust for the defense um so yeah i mean i hadn't i honestly just have been thinking about that as we were talking now i hadn't thought about it before but if you want someone who's going to come in and have the best chance to improve the defense add a running game to what is already a strong quarterback and and his ability to pass around that i think you can do a lot worse than dan quinn um so Anyway, it's, it's curious, you know, I go back and I think the cases for firing Pete as a coach have been about him wanting to run the ball too much and that he's holding Russ back, um, doesn't listen to analytics on fourth down, hasn't rebuilt the defense, um, his assistant coaching hires, I think, are pretty questionable. Oh, yeah. I'd say pretty bad. Um, but it's really to your point. I think the biggest case for getting rid of Pete is on the personnel side. Oh yeah. It's to me, nothing could inspire more energy for me in the franchise than just new personnel, either direction or just, I don't know if we'll ever have John to come out and admit like they're changing their philosophy completely. But to me, nothing is more exciting why I love football so much is like the off season's as good as the season. And those two months, like April and March, every team is super excited. And if you come back and you roll back and it's the same personnel, it's going to be hard for me to get excited. I'm not going to lie. And if you have new, uh, there's nothing that can fire you up more as a fan than just having new people making roster decisions. And I don't know if that's a new GM. I don't know if Pete steps away from it, but to me, that's what that kind of energy this team needs because the, the personnel decisions are really hard to get behind. Uh, hey, let's uh, let's do some Patreon questions if you're up for yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I can go for a while. I got. All right, so let me look here. Uh, first is from Max Breitbarth. Um, 
This might be a little preliminary, but who are the top free agents that aren't current Seahawks you would try to add this offseason? You want to take a second, or do you have a couple? You mentioned Ryan Jensen. Anyone else at top of mind? Well, I mentioned uh, Chandler Jones. It might be a giant leap of faith there, but I think this team, especially defensively, I know we've all fought all year, but I think they're one good pass rusher away from really jumping up. I think if you could combine like a Chandler Jones with Daryl Taylor as your bookend combo and and add some pieces around them for depth, I think that can really change the outlook of this defense. And with Jamal Adams coming back and with some of the blitzing linebackers or speed of linebacker, I think that really rounds out the whole package. And I think they're really a pass rusher away from being a pretty damn good defense, maybe top five. I think they have all the other pieces in place. And I think Chandler Jones is the only A-level free agent. I think Arizona is going to have trouble signing him. I know that he almost held out a bit this year. They paid J.J. Watt. They got to pay Kyler Murray coming up. So I think if you can keep Russell and use him as a recruiting tool for someone like Chandler Jones, A, he could make you better in your division because Chandler Jones kills the Seahawks. But I think it's really the one thing that's holding this team back from really taking that next level on defense. Yeah, those are two good ones. Uh, Troy Fagan asks, uh, with such a bad free agency class this year, which Seahawks free agents are your priority to re-sign? I'll start. If you want to jump in, feel free. Um, for me, I think I think DJ Reed's got to be your top priority. Yeah. Um, it's a little close with Quandre Diggs to me because – even though you spend a lot of money on, on safety, I think Quandre Diggs is your captain of this defense for the next few years. I think he's the guy that gets people set up. He's one of the only guys on this defense that creates turnovers. Um, and I think he's going to be a pro bowl level safety for the next three years. I think that that's a pretty good bet. So if, if the cover wasn't so bare at corner, I might say Diggs needs to be number one, but I think you got to go read one. I think Diggs is two. And honestly, Sidney Jones might be three for me. Um, I think if you can sign two corners, it's hard to say, it depends on what they'll cost, but um, 25 year old, two 25 year old guys, Sidney Jones, DJ Reed, I think they can be your corners for the next few years and makes that not such an urgent need that allows you to focus your resources elsewhere, um, you know, on the defensive line, on the offensive line, when it comes to the draft and, and other places. So those would be mine. I don't know if you have any different opinion there. Uh, more or less, that's the same. Uh, I, th- I do think you have to sign Diggs. It pains me to put that much money at safety though. Uh, the Jamal thing, just the whole thing just hurts so many reasons, but. Yeah, I think Diggs is almost more important than Jamal moving forward, just on how good he is in coverage. A, he's been way more durable. Uh, he's going to cost less. But, man, I think DJ Reed is a guy. We've seen what happens when he's off that right side of the field. They don't have a lot of playmaking guys. Trey Brown's coming off a pretty serious injury. Like you said the other day, I don't think you can rely on him being a full-time player next year. I think he's just an added bonus. I don't think City Jones would cost it very much, even though he's 25. That'd be my hope. I think because like he's been on waivers a bunch the last couple of years. There hasn't been a lot of claims. He was traded for like a fifth round pick this year. Six, Six round pick. So I, I don't think he's a guy who's going to command a ton of value. 
I think he would be pretty cheap, like maybe three million, four million bucks to bring back. But I think those are the guys. Dwayne Brown's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Not he has played certainly did this year, but I, I don't unless you tr- unless you're getting into the first round of the draft this year, you're training Russell or whatever. Then the whole conversation changes. Then you're definitely not bringing Dwayne Brown back. But if Russell's back and you're going for it now. I think you got to consider bringing Dwayne back, maybe a one-year deal, cheap two-year deal. I know it's not the best use of money, but like how the hell else are you getting a left tackle in the next couple of years? Um, not having that first round pick again. I don't know if you're relying on a left tackle in the second round. Hopefully you are, but maybe that's like a one-year transition. I would consider bringing Dwayne back. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Russell stays, I think you got to re-sign Dwayne. Yeah. It's not a no matter what the price situation, but I think that it's going to be really hard to find a better left tackle option. Um, so uh, here's one from Imani Waddle. Uh, always a fun game. He wants to play screw, marry, kill. Okay. And the three people are Pete, John, and Russ. <laughs> I'm screwing right now. I can't. Oh God. <laughs> I've been like, me and you get ripped on for being like the anti-Rust community. Ah God. Who am I killing? I can't I, you go for it. I'm sorry. No, this is a question for you, dude. <laughs> okay. Um we'll say I'll I'll say I'm gonna take Russell for the screw. Um I've been very hard on Russell this year. Okay. Uh, here, here, here's. I'll give you a, a little lifeline. Uh, yeah. He says, "Extend one, keep one for next season, and fire trade the last one." Okay, I'm gonna keep Russell. I'm gonna ex- extend Russell for next year. Uh, this is almost more situational than anything else. Just the quarterback market is dreary. I was watching some just terrible players the other on Sunday, and just like. You know, I would love to trade Russell in any other scenario if the draft class was better. It's just, it's almost situational. I, oh, I want Pete. I think Pete and John are almost a package. But let's just say for now, I would keep Pete and fire John. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. I, I, yeah. I don't know how you can separate any of them right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay um dj burnett says we have 56 million in cap space this year and i know we have a decent amount of people to extend uh but i don't fully understand how the cap space works so if we retained all the players we have now would we still be able to sign free agents that would help this team and would be viable to help us run it back so let me pull open really quickly our our list of um free agents and let me add to that for a second before you get going, while you're researching. The big number for next year, the Seahawks, no matter what way you look at it, is Bobby Wagner. And Bobby Wagner, I think, is due, I think, cap number of 20 million. And they can clear almost like 16 million off the book if they don't bring him back. There's talk about him resigning or trading him or cutting him. That really could change their cap situation. If they keep Bobby, they redo his deal. That might open up a lot of cap room. They could reduce that number if they cut him outright, which there's some people who certainly sit down on his play decline and think that's a possibility. 
that 58 million might become close to 70 billion and that changes the whole conversation yeah let's uh now let's go in what we know so let me i'm gonna go cap calculator here just to to make sure on over the cap i i've got the right numbers because i i do think you've got to take bobby out of it Mm -hmm. um and what i don't know with over the cap is whether they are assuming any of the rollover like there's 12 million rollover i think right now from the seahawks i think they're covering all of their dead money for next year so let's let's uh cut bobby which is um 16 million so that gives you 73 million dollars in cap space okay um and the free agents that you're talking about on the seahawks unrestricted free agents dwayne brown quandre diggs gerald everett which we haven't talked about let's talk about him brandon shell ethan posick rashad penny al woods sydney jones geno smith alex collins kyle fuller oh uh ryan neal rasheem green will disley dj reed and jamarco jones so there's some there's some players there's some decisions on there um we already talked about dwayne brown we talked about quandre diggs um i don't think you re-sign brandon shell no, I, I think you would rather just keep current um we talked about sydney jones um rasheem green's an interesting one at just 25 years old leading the team in sacks uh i mean he's 24 right now he will be 25 so he's gonna cost a decent chunk but i think you could sign dwayne brown quandre diggs gerald everett if you wanted rashad penny al woods sydney jones uh rasheem green dj reed and still have a significant amount of cap space um when you have 72 million dollars in cap space the way they can structure those deals they can make the first year cap hit whatever they want for their existing free agents to leave space for other guys so i don't think cap space is going to be an issue for the seahawks um other than guys that are maybe tier one free agents that i don't know how many of those there are uh this year doesn't look like a lot right i mean chandler jones would be a tier one guy like you're yeah. gonna have to spend a ton on him mm -hmm. um so yeah i i do believe that uh without really going through each number because that would take too long it would bore the tears uh, out of everybody <laughs> but um yeah 72 million is is a ton um so you'd be fine all right. Uh, has no clue asks, do you predict any coaching or front office changes will actually be made? Yes or no. And if so, by what date? I'm hoping the answer is yes. I don't know. I have a very uneasy feeling it's going to be no. And I know you've talked about the What are you predicting though, Jeff? I'm predicting no. I'm predicting they run it back. And I think that's where the Russell trade stuff is going to take off again. So we're going to have two months of that. I'm hoping I'm wrong. We don't know anything about Jody Allen. We know nothing about where, she, where she's at, what changes in the last two weeks. But I don't know. I just have this uneasy feeling the answer is no. So let's take a, a fresh temperature on this. 
So because Russell, he's been asked more pointedly this week about last week. He was like, yeah, I hope I'm here next year. And I was like, dude, you have a no trade clause. You can be here next year if you want to be. So don't talk about hope unless you're just playing coy. This week he got asked again and he said, you know, I want to win more Super Bowls. I want to be here. No trade clause was put in. So it couldn't just trade me anywhere. Um, and so he still is not saying I want to be here. People are hearing that, but that is not what he's saying. No, he's saying, you know, if he was saying like, he could just say, I will be here next year. That would be definitive. I will be here next year. One way or another. He has control over that. He is not saying that he is clearly not saying that Jeff. Mm -hmm. So. If what you said is true, Pete and John are both back. He has shown no interest in trading Russ. Russ can't really force a trade. No. So Pete and John come back. Is Russ getting traded? I think Mark Rogers is going to make every effort to try to trade him. But what would, what would that look like? I mean, what would he do? I think he's going to basically convince Russell to demand a trade, ask for a trade. And I know we know he, you saw last Sunday with Schefter, they made a power play early on. And that whole thing just went away because the Seahawks scored 50 points. And like, no, it almost got like taken down to dust. So I think they're going to leak to the people they leak to Adam Schefter. And I said all along, that's Mark Rogers, this guy, when he wants something big up. And we saw with list teams, I think they're going to just leak as much things as possible. Pete won't work with Russell, won't work with Pete again. Pete asked John for a trade. The team sucked without him. He'll do everything he can to just leak. So Mike Florio is talking about this every single day of the week. But yeah, you're right. We, we've seen a lot of reports. Pete doesn't want to rebuild. I think Pete looks at that game last week and it's like, we're right there. And they could run this thing back. It's not out of the possibility. You presented all the options this week. I think that's definitely an option. I'll be honest, I would not be thrilled about that option, but they come out and smoke Arizona this week. I think that option increases by a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say the exact same thing. I mean, if if they beat the Cardinals, forget smoking them, if they beat them, that will that will have a i think a meaningful impact on where things go i don't know that he'll change much about russell feels or his agent um but yeah i (laughs) i think a lot of a lot of signs are pointing towards all three of them being back next year i think that i think john is ready to trade russ I don't think Pete is. So if Pete's back, I don't think Russ is going anywhere. And if they fire Pete and or John, then I don't think Russ is going anywhere. Right? Mm -hmm. So like the only scenario where Russ gets traded, it feels like, is one... Pete goes and John stays. Yeah. 
Or two, like you said, Russ goes to them and like says, I just, I don't want to be here anymore and has that conversation and convinces them and they will accommodate yeah. him. That's the only other situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so, where, so where's your gut right now? What's your feeling? Like, are you saying all three are back at this point? That's my, that's, that's why I wrote this earlier this week. And I mean, it's really, it's changed week to week because there's it's, different in, in, indicators, but again, I come back to what it means for ownership. If they decide to fire Pete, like it's gotta be so obvious for them to do it. It's gotta been like, this team is just a disaster going the totally wrong direction. Uh, the team's quitting on him. The players are, uh, there's no signs of that has not been the case. It's not. No. Players are playing super hard for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, then they also have to know exactly who they'd want to go after. Like in each case where the, the Seahawks have moved on to a new coach, they already knew who it was that they wanted to bring in, whether it was Mike Holmgren, whether it was uh, Jim Moore Jr. was already pegged before Holmgren left, uh, whether it was Pete Carroll. They knew they wanted Pete. Yeah. You know? Do they already know who they want? Like, I, I don't know if that's really real in this situation. So no, this is not a unique... all that work. Yeah. And this is not a situation we've seen before because the first time, like you said in your article the other day, this would put them in the spotlight. We don't know anything about, I don't, I doubt Jody Allen has Adam Schefter's phone number. She's leaking things to him, you know? So, well, point case in point, Remember that article you texted to me this week from John Canzano down in Portland? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like for ownership to be put in the spotlight. So for people who didn't read it, article in the Oregonian about the Blazers general manager search going on. And John Canzano's saying that Paul Allen never wanted Jody Allen and Burt Cold to own the, the Seahawks or the, the Blazers. And if you read the article, there is no source of that. Kanzano <laughs> is just talking out of his ass. As someone who grew up in Portland, he just stirs the pot. He's like a wannabe Skip Bayless, except he's a writer instead of on air. He goes on the radio. He's a shock jock kind of guy. I don't take any of his stuff as worth paying any attention to. But that's not the point. The point is, He's throwing shade at Jody Allen and Burt Cold and saying, you know, they're, they, they're going against what Paul Allen's dying wishes were. Like, that's the kind of attention you start to get when you fire somebody at the top and you're now on the hook to, to replace them. Pete Carroll's the winningest coach in Seahawks franchise history. Brought you your first Super Bowl. You better know you're going to be better by moving on from him if you're – if you're a, 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 an owner and be ready to defend your decision. Yeah. I just don't, I don't get that level of engagement from those folks to be like, yeah, I'm ready to take that on. Yeah. I, the hard thing is just like, I have no gut feel here. I know everyone has opinions. And I have no gut feel. They're stay distant. So I, keep your eyes peeled Sunday morning because that black Monday is, this Monday coming up, that's when coaches get fired. And Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, you get one of these guys, Lackenfora, Schefter, Rappaport. They put out their best stuff on Sunday mornings. 
because that's when most people are looking at their news. So you'll see a lot of that Black Monday stuff coming out this week and keep your eyes peeled because I think if you start to hear that P might get fired, I think there's definitely smoke to that. And yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot because if next week's the week where the GM and coach get fired. Yep. That's where they're going to have to do season ending press conferences because the Seahawks are making the playoffs. And I doubt that Jody's going to want to trot them out there. If they're being fired. So so lower level than this, but I do, I'm curious your thoughts because the other thing that came out today that I thought was newsworthy was maybe it's yesterday, but Pete kind of backing Shane Waldron. Yeah. Saying he's seen everything he needs. And a lot of the press, the way they, they interpreted that is if Pete's back, Shane Waldron's back. Yeah. Now I think that's a very short memory considering that last year Pete said, yeah, shot. He's back. He's great. And two days later, he's like fired for philosophical differences. <laughs> so like what Pete says and what Pete does doesn't have to always match. It hasn't in the past. Do you think Shane Waldron's safe if Pete comes back? No, I don't think anyone's safe on Pete's staff. I think that might be one of the things they say to him. You that's usually like the half measure teams always say, like you need to change coordinators. But again, my gut feeling is there might be a ton of recency bias if they finish the season strong. And I know a lot of people, if you're Waldron's biggest backer, you're looking at that game and you're saying, okay, this is what Shane Waldron's offense was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. One of his biggest failures is it seems like he's being pulled in too many directions. He's trying to, and it was one of our biggest fears about him. You said it right away. He didn't seem to have a strong leadership skill. And he's trying to help make Russell happy with all this early damn passing, but they've lost their, they've had no running identity, which is what Pete does. And they, they run and they pass. It doesn't work together. They've been the worst third damn team in football. But if you're his biggest proponent, you're saying, okay, look what happened when it all came together. They hit the third down. So like you said, Pete is not known to tell the truth. In the media. I would not put any stock when he says publicly. So he should not be safe. Their offense has been Russell had the worst year of his career this year. And their offense was historically bad on third down. Gut feeling is if they're back, I do think Waldron's going to be back to just keep 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 Russell happy. I don't think they want to go through another year of transition. But is he safe? Hell no. Yeah. I I I agree. I do think if Pete's back, most likely scenario is Waldron's back. Um I don't back. think he should be. I don't think he should be. I mean, I've people I think are way lowering the bar for him and like, hey, Russ was hurt and wasn't himself when he came back. I'm not even talking about the games in the second half of the season. I'm talking about the start of the season. There is the worst narrative about that because of his PFF grade. Yeah. I think that narrative is nuts. That Tennessee game was awful. Second half? Yeah. yeah, even the first half, like a lot of those were like his only like completion was the Freddie Swain not being around like 70 yards. And that first Rams game, you were there, you were talking about it. They miss more things, more wide open players. And if you remember the San Francisco game in week four, where he went off in the second half, they had one of the worst offensive outputs in the whole season. I think they were like minus 18 yards at one point. Yeah. So there's a lot of revisionist history based on like his efficiency number. Russell was pretty bad up until like a couple games. That doesn't mean it'll be bad moving forward, but there's just this dishonest conversation. 
I just look at Waldron and what I what I expect to see from a quality offensive coordinator more than anything is well two things attention to detail like do things are things run crisply whatever play you're running it could be five plays there was years where it felt like Mike Holmgren ran the same five plays and just mixed them up like I know that's not true but there was just some plays you're like everyone knew it when it was coming but you run them exceptionally well. The other thing is to have some sense of play calling rhythm and relationship, like how one play builds off another or how you counter one play or one defense with a different, uh, different approach and how that builds on itself. And I haven't seen either of those things from Shane Waldron. I don't think one, that was it. I don't think there's been any semblance of true mastery of anything other than plays that were here before Waldron was here. Like there's plays I've seen that are like, yep, I've seen that all the way back to Daryl Bevel. I've seen that play. Nothing new. But show me a Waldron play that's run exceptionally well. I haven't seen many of those. And then I think his play calling, that was the biggest question mark coming in. He'd never been a play caller. And I think it's shown. I think the third down play calling is, it's not just that Russell's been a mediocre third quarter quarterback, his third down quarterback, his whole career, which is true. I think Waldron's play calling has been awful. I think, yeah, I, I just, I don't have any trust that Waldron can go toe to toe with Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel or who it picked. He didn't really in this case, but like a great defensive coordinator in a game that matters and make the right call or have the team have a rhythm to how they play. It just felt totally dysfunctional and arrhythmic um, the whole time. So to me that I don't want to be the place where he's learning on the job and hopefully figures it out. And to the point you said earlier that I had talked about, everyone gave me so much crap earlier in the year, and I get it. But I, when I watch him in press conferences, this guy's not a leader. He's not a leader. He's a follower. That's who he is. And I don't want a follower in that position. I want someone who has a clear – I want someone who has a clear idea of what they think offense should look like and that they are leading. And I think people will say, hey, well, Pete's not going to let that happen. Maybe. And, you know, whatever. But I'm not talking about Pete. <laughs> I'm talking about Shane Waldron. So, yeah, I'll be pretty disappointed if he's back. It doesn't mean that he can't get better. But um, I think he's been a disaster. Total disaster. And I, think, yeah. I think a lot of the blame for the offensive struggles this year. To me, people talk about Russ or Pete. I think Shane Waldron deserves a lot of blame. The offense has been pretty damn good with Pete and Russ and other OCs in past years. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said there. Uh, I think, I think just to add to it, I, I think they, you saw like they struggled to target DK. How many games is that? I know DK's expressed some anger towards Russell, it seems like, but there's just games where he's just not involved. To me, that's just an absolute failure. The fear to me, and just in general, even if regardless of Waldron's like, Okay, that means PS identify another offensive coach. 
And that's why to me, it's just like, I'm pretty ready to move on from Pete. Um, you talked about it before. Like I was thinking about this the other day, like say they fired Pete after that Chicago game. I know Evan was like cut off his key card or whatever. Who the hell is even the interim coach on the staff? Like they didn't have a capable intern coach. Like, is it Tater or is it Nate Carroll? Like, who the hell? Ken Norton Jr. Is oh, Ken Norton. Like that's to me, that says enough about Pete's staff. Like, there are stats where there's like two or three guys, like Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley were his best staff on defense. But like, look at some of the best teams in the league. There are multiple. There's not one that I would see as like, or who's the name being mentioned in like the head coaching cycle? There's not one. So to me, that's just, that's what scares me about the whole Waldron thing, regardless. It's like, all right, now Pete needs to go find another offensive coach that he hasn't found in 12 years. Yeah. Uh- you're not wrong. I mean, people talk about, I don't want Pete being the one to pick, you know, the, the, the draft picks or be in charge of the personnel stuff. And I get that. I don't know that we want to being in charge of picking the, the assistant coaches. So, um, okay. Then why are you here? Yeah. 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 But so, on a side note, before I, I want to give Dana credit, but one thing, uh, Speaking of Pete, I don't know if you caught this the other day. Pete said he talked to Adrian Peterson about becoming assistant coach. Did you catch that? I did. So when, when the Seahawks signed Adrian Peterson, I, among many, with a few dunking on them, I thought it was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. They were like three and eight at that point or three and seven. And they signed a 33-year-old or whatever, 36, however old he is. And I was clowning them. I t- I'm taking an L on this because – Rashad Penny has said it several times. Just being around Peterson has really helped him. It's helped his mindset. Seeing him practice, that might be bullshit, but he believes it. He said he's learned things just from watching him, and he's got coaching tips for him. The fact that Pete said they've talked to him about coaching kind of speaks that this is real. And Dana actually brought this up when they signed him. And I thought it was far-fetched. And Penny's been the best running back in the NFL. If you would have ever told me that um, two months ago, that he did have one stretch for a month, the best running back in the NFL, I would have laughed so hard in their face. So I got to take an L on this one. I don't often admit when I'm wrong. I'm, most of us don't, but like that was a, what I thought was a far-fetched idea. I know that quote went out about them trying to win now or whatever. That was pretty stupid, but that turned out to be a potentially very good move. If Penny is a part of this team's future, I don't know if that's a good idea, but, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great call out. I mean, we, we talked about it in the chat, but we should definitely re-mention it here. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, Dana did just bring up also just a question of, was there a lack of leadership in that room? And Chris Carson is as good as he's been as a running back. You know, he's not always the most vocal guy. Is he, is he a leader in that room who, who has been, and they haven't really had a vet. Um, it's not DJ Dallas. It's not Travis Homer. It's not Rashad Penny. So, um, you know, they had Carlos Hyde last year, but, you know, I don't know that he's a guy that everyone looks up to either. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it is fascinating seeing that the impact of, of uh, I mean, they should have just brought in Robert Turbin because everyone would have respected his opinion. On another note, it's a little alarming that Russ and probably a bunch of Seahawks fans wanted Antonio Brown last year. Mm. Like <laughs> a lot of those people have to be second guessing that. 
I don't want to get too deep into that. I don't even want to you know if we want to bring it up. Like, well, I mean, ugh. Tom Brady <laughs> wanted him as well, you yeah. know. So I think there are probably multiple places that wanted Bill Belichick wanted him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think one of the weirdest uh, uh, narratives is that Pete kept them from getting Antonio Brown. Pete wanted Antonio Brown. I was like so frustrated like Pete Carroll was just throwing all these platitudes in the press about Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown just wanted to go to the Patriots and then he wanted to go to the Bucks. like there was never he never even considered really coming to the Seahawks um, unless those things didn't work out that's where he wanted to be thankfully but yeah I do feel like uh I do feel like um Russ's input on personnel which he said he's wanted i mean josh gordon and greg olson and antonio brown um not great i mean they're not terrible but i don't think that they're like (laughs) i don't think that that would have really made a huge change so um all right uh let me see if there's any other must cover questions here um Jonathan Lulay asks if the Seahawks reportedly turned down three first round picks and players from the Bears from, for Russell last year what would it take what would the price be for Russell this year and who is most likely to pay it we've talked about this a little bit I don't know if you have any new yeah. thoughts no, it's the same to me. I, I was big in the belief of I never thought a Bears trade could get off the ground last year because I've said this so many times on the show. All first-round picks are not equal. Like, the Bears were picking 20, I think 20th last year. They actually traded up to get Justin Fields. And the Seahawks got, like, the 20th pick, and then say they got Russell, and they were the same kind of – they're a fringe playoff team like Seattle's been. That's, like, the 20th, the 23rd, and the 23rd pick. That's not a very enticing package for a quarterback because, A, you can't replace it. And we've seen the value in the draft. Brian's talked about a lot. There's a huge difference between top 15, top 10 picks. So if you're going to trade Russell, you have to either be getting something back in terms of a player, which I don't think will happen. I think you have to be getting back premium picks. And I know I've said this a lot, but this draft is not the year where there's going to be a lot of top 10 blue chip players. It's looking like that Luke Jokel draft. Like I was looking at mocks the other day just to see it. Like, there's not much that will get you pumped. But to me, the match that's best is the New York Giants. New York Giants have two picks in the top 10 for this coming draft. They have the Bears pick from the Fields trade, and they're going to be in the top five. So if you're going to get those premium picks, to me, there's no team that can offer a better package than the Giants because you can get those two picks, which can help you rebuild the trenches, set up the next situation. There's no quarterback probably this year in the top 10. And I think Russell, based on that report that came out earlier and based on what we know about Russell and Derek Jeter's his favorite player of all time, blah, blah, blah. I think the Giants would entice them as bad as they are and as much as they've been a tire fire. I can't see a better match. Sean Payton was leaked last year. I just look when you're looking at free. Saints are 62 million over the cap next year. And what do they have to offer? They have like an 18th overall pick or 20th overall pick. I don't see how that match can work unless the Seahawks were totally hamstrung. So I can't see a better fit than the New York Giants. 
yeah yeah i think that's i think that's right um uh so let's talk just briefly about this game this week against the cardinals um i've not done my normal tail of the tape breakdown um and so I, I haven't looked deeply into it i did see today uh al woods and uh miles adams went on the covid list Sidney jones and damian lewis came off al woods going on is a pretty big deal uh I don't know the state of the Cardinals and, and who's healthy. I know DeAndre Hopkins is out. No, but you missed another one. Ryan Neal went on the COVID oh, Ryan list. Ryan Neal, today. yep. So they don't have a starting safety. Yep. Well, like, who is going to play beside Day? Is it Ugo Amadi? Like, I think it would be Ugo would be my guess. Like, ugh. they don't have defensive tackles or safety this week. Yeah, yeah. Do we know, I mean, on the Cardinals side, any, you know well, – I know that Hopkins is out. Um, James Conner has not played the last couple of games. That would actually be a big deal. Yeah, and they 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 the Cardinals have had a tailspin. They they played great against Dallas last week. They've been in pretty bad tailspin. They blew the division lead. Uh, they need the the I think that they need to beat the Seahawks and the Rams to lose to win the division. So let me ask you this, Jeff. I mean, we'll do our predictions, and you know, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. But and I know that. Let me ask this. So is there something that the Seahawks could do in this game that would affect your opinion about what to do with the big questions that are looming over the team for next year? Yeah, to me, it's all about the offense. Um, If what we saw last week, I don't think they'll score 50 points. I think that would be quite much. But if the offense looks as good and as efficient and transferable, and repeatable, then I think that the Seahawks would come out of there thinking, okay, Russell was injured. It took a while to get going with Waldron, and they've something has clicked. And I would see them being potentially signing Dwayne Brown back, signing Penny back, and thinking, okay, this is the offense. We've something has clicked, sort of like what happened back in the day with Mike Holmgren in the last six games, where that one year where he was on the chopping block and the offense took off, and the next year they were a playoff team. I think that would have to – I don't think defensively. I think there's too many holes this week. Bobby might not play. The safety's banged up. They don't have their best defensive tackle this year. I don't think there's anything I can see that can change my opinion. But if the offense comes out and does that again to a Cardinals team, that's given Russell trouble in the last couple of games. But he was awful in that Cole McCoy game. Um, I would think that that would shape the front offices or the ownership's perspective and that might change my thinking. If they can do that in Arizona in a game they're trying to win. Mm-hmm. What would that look like numbers-wise? Is there an amount of points they'd have to score, yards they'd put up, or something like that? Like over 400 yards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over 30 points, over 400 yards. Yeah, that's that. those are the numbers in my head, too. Yeah. So, yeah, because this is a very good Cardinals defense. Um mm-hmm. So I'm right there with you. I think it's all eyes on the offense. I think the defense is going to struggle this week. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to suck this week. <laughs> uh, we'll see. I mean, who, who knows? But I think it's going to be tough sledding. Um, I am glad that Sidney Jones is back. I think he's helpful. But um, what's, your, what's your prediction score-wise for this game? I do not think the Seahawks play that well on offense. I think – 
we see more of what we're used to. I say 31 to 21. Hmm. I was 30, 20. So that's freaking. Yeah, we're pretty close. Yeah, that's uh, both of us picking the Cardinals. Who knows? Uh, we, we all picked the Lions last week and look how that went. Um, Maybe that's the strategy here. <laughs> I have not had a season where I've picked against the Seahawks as much as I've had this year in a long time, my friend. Um, I do the not weird like it. And here's the weird part. I know we're going to wrap up soon, but like they're, what are they, six and 10 right now? They have four uh, losses this year under three points and games where either Russell was awful or Russell was injured. I think if Russell played at an average level, they win all four of those games. And we're looking at a 10 and six team. And the Seahawks weren't even good this year. They could have easily be 10 and six this year, with just yep. average quarterback plays. So it's been such a bad feeling all year. So hopefully this leads to the best possible result. But it's just weird for such a team that's looked totally awful. Well, let's, just, let's take a let's take a few few seconds on this because I I I think it's easy to lose the thread here. Um yeah. I'll be totally clear, and I want this on video you know, on the interwebs forever, right? I think if the Seahawks bring back Pete, John, and Russ, I think that they can be a playoff team next year. Mm -hmm. I think they can be a playoff team for the next few years. Like, I don't don't think it's a sure bet, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. The question for me is what's their ceiling? Yeah, I think we know. And are they – are they in a position to go from where they are this year to being a Super Bowl contender next year? No. I don't think there's almost any. They can change Pete John. They can trade Russ, keep whatever. Like I don't see that as a likely outcome. I think that that's less than five percent. Um, it might be less than two percent that that's the case. Um, I the, the questions about whether to keep these guys or move them is much more about what are the multiple steps that need to happen in order to raise the ceiling beyond being a playoff team. And I know a lot of people are like, I just want a team that can get to the, to the NFC championship. That's not it for me. Like, I'm not that swayed by the Packers making the NFC championship multiple times and not getting there. You know, or even the Rams or the 49ers losing the Super Bowl. Like, it all has to come together. Like you have to be that good and have like that amount of dominance and be that good, well coached and everything has to come together for you to win a Super Bowl. I just don't, I, I don't know if I see this, this group having all the things come together to allow that to happen again. That's why I've been like, let's start over fresh. Right? Well, that's a good point because like you look a couple of years ago, like Seahawks fans, who was the team of their Ireland? the Baltimore Ravens, they were the model franchise. They were different on fourth down. They were like, is anyone going to remember this Ravens run for a couple of years? Like, I think they won one playoff game and like, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think they lost their first one last year. And they had an MVP quarterback, did they? Yeah. So like that speaks partly to your point. Like if you're not great for a sustained period of time, like, is it that good to be last year with the Ravens? Like, does anyone want to be the Ravens right now? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 
there are worse there are worse fates than watching them make the playoffs and win 10 12 games whatever it would be like it would not be the worst thing in the world but i think we want <laughs> we want to see that path and no matter what if they come back they don't come back i think we've said it over and over again the thing that i want to see them do is build out this offensive line this is another chance they've got three guys that are going to be free agents do not just re re up these guys and run it back that is not going to do it so that's the number one place that plus pass rush put like 90% of your resources into those two spots as far as i'm concerned so anything else on your mind jeff before we wrap no i think we covered a lot i think sort of what you're saying to me like the biggest things I want to see is I want to see different personnel decisions this offseason. I want to see a team that values the trenches. I think the biggest mistakes that these teams made in the last couple of years is they put all their money in linebacker and safety. And I think we see sustainably, and you mentioned it sort of the other day in our trade thing, like don't trade first rounders. Resources need are not being spent in the most important place on the field other than quarterback. And yep. For this to become a Super Bowl team, you got to either be great on offensive line or defensive line to pair with a quarterback and an offense that can run the ball. And until we see that, or until we see leaders who are going to do that, I think we're just set up for the same season over and over. Agreed, my friend. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Please give the show a like if you haven't already. Uh, it takes just a second. Please subscribe to the channel. Just takes a moment. Uh, click the bell to get notified when we go live. And go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Join up to the community. One of the fastest growing really best communities people are awesome in there you get immediate access to our slack channel where people continue the conversation there's a lot of celebration been a little bit more commiseration this year but it's all good folks um good chance to meet people good chance to also support a great cause as you know we've donated over two hundred thousand dollars to charity since we've started and uh we will continue to do that with all of your help. So please head over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, join the community, give the show a like. And if you haven't already, give the show a rating on iTunes and, and Google, Google Play. Uh, we need as many five-star reviews as possible. So we appreciate that. It helps people find the show. And uh, until next week, until the, the post-game show this weekend, we'll bid you adieu and have a wonderful rest of your week. Go Hawks.